Well, uh, all year, we're going through the gospel according to John in a series called Finding Life in Jesus' Name. And today, we get to start John chapter 15, and we're considering the seventh and the final I am statement of Jesus in John's gospel. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, this teaching has huge implications for the Christian life. And maybe there's somebody here who is wondering, considering, what would it mean for me to become a Christian? What would that be like? What would have to change in my life? Or maybe there's someone here who's been a Christian for some time and is wondering, is this it? Is there something more? Should I be doing more? Well, if you want to know what it looks like to do life with Jesus, if you want to know how it would transform you, or what would be required of you, then you need to understand what it means that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take it and open to John chapter 15, starting with verse 1. John 15, starting with verse 1. We'll put the scripture on the screens for you as well. Uh, but we're going to read through this and we'll unpack it as we go. Starting with verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Okay, so let's pause here. So again, context, this is the night before the cross of Christ. And Jesus is telling the 12, minus Judas, the betrayer, some very important things to help them not only get through the next few traumatic days, but to equip them for the whole rest of the Christian life. And there are few other passages that are as important for us today in understanding what life looks like with Jesus as this passage. Now, Jesus is just a brilliant teacher, and he uses the analogy of the vine and the branches here to teach us something about himself, some things about us, and about the work that God is doing in our lives when we are connected to him. As I said, this is the seventh I am statement of Jesus in John's gospel, and there are seven signs we've seen and seven statements that all point together the fact that Jesus is God. I am refers to the divine name of God revealed in the Old Testament. But also, these I am statements of Jesus, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the true vine. These statements reveal, teach us something about Jesus' mission and purpose in the world. Well, here he says, I am the true vine, which means, among many things, that he is the source of life for the branches. If there's a branch that falls, uh, fails to produce fruit, it is removed, it's cut off. 
But he says every branch that does bear fruit is pruned by God the Father so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus says at the end, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So what does all this mean? And what kind of fruit is Jesus talking about here? Well, let's keep going and see if it becomes more clear. Look back at verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Okay, let's pause once, once more. So, Jesus gives us a little more information. He's a little clearer with the vine analogy. He's the vine and we, his disciples, are the branches. We are the ones who must remain, or some of your Bible translations might say, abide in, remain in, abide in, or more simply, perhaps, stay connected to the life and the nourishment of Jesus, the vine. But if we do... If we are connected to Jesus and stay, remain connected in him, then we will bear much fruit. Now our lives then will be truly productive because the life-giving power of Jesus will produce, this is a promise, it, it will produce certain things in and through us. But apart from the vine, Jesus says, we can do nothing. Now, the shocking thing is that it's not just that you'll be less efficient, less effective. It's not that you would be wise to stay connected to Jesus. Apart from him, he says that we can do nothing. Now, why? Well, because branches that are not connected to the vine are dead. Now, for plants, as soon as that connection to the source of life is severed, it might not look too bad at first. Cut flowers still look pretty and alive for a few days, but they're really dead. And Jesus says that dead branches, dead wood, is only useful for the fire. Now, this likely is a reference to the day of judgment at the end of this age. And the reason is because the Old Testament, this analogy of the vine, the vine imagery, is not new to Jesus. Throughout the Old Testament, it's full of vine imagery. Um, now, this is related to ancient Israel. We see this especially in the prophets, but throughout the whole Old Testament. There are long passages on Israel being the vine in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and elsewhere. Commentator Don Carson writes this, quote, Most remarkable is the fact that whenever historic Israel is referred to under this figure of the vine, it is the vine's failure to produce good fruit that is emphasized 
along with the corresponding threat of God's judgment on the nation. Okay, vian imagery is not heartwarming imagery in the Old Testament. This is the fire. But one of the most interesting examples of vine imagery in the Old Testament, this is not just, I think, interesting to Bible nerds, okay? I think this is really fascinating and helpful for Christians today, is found in Psalm 80. Psalm 80, in Psalm 80, the psalmist repeatedly calls for God to restore the vine that he had planted, Israel. Again, this is common imagery, but the vine in Psalm 80 had been cut down and burned in judgment just as the prophets warned. However, the psalmist mentions someone, a son, that God would raise for himself. Specifically, a son of man. That's interesting language. Who would have the favor of God and a position of authority at the right hand of God. Who would this son of man be? When would God raise up a son to restore his people? So it is here, against the backdrop of Israel and all the vine imagery of the Old Testament, that Jesus very strategically, brilliantly reveals that he is the true vine. His father is the gardener, his disciples are the branches. And this is huge. This means that Psalm 80 finds its fulfillment. In fact, the whole purpose of Israel finds its fulfillment in none other than Jesus Christ. Israel failed to be the vine on its own, generation after generation, while Jesus is the true vine. He is the Son of Man who, in just a few short days, God would raise up in the resurrection, and eventually he would be raised up and exalted and seated in the highest place at the right hand of God in the throne room of heaven. But the key for us, the key for our ability to stay connected to this vine, to be pruned, to bear much fruit, revolves around the Word. In these first eight verses, Jesus refers to his word or his words in two different places. In verse three, Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And it's hard to see in the English, but this is a play on words with what Jesus said about his father pruning his disciples in verse two. The, same, the root words for prune and clean are the same in the Greek. And, but then in verse seven, he says that if his disciples remain in or abide in himself in the vine by by letting his words remain in them, they will bear much fruit. Now, one example that Jesus gives here, and he repeats it later in this passage, is prayer. If you have my word within you, if the thoughts of your heart and the meditations of your heart revolve around the word of God, well, then you could ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And the reason is this. Because when we're filled with the word of God, our desires, our hearts, our ways of thinking, our minds start to conform to a different way, to God's will and to God's way. When this happens, we will be able to pray better prayers, more effective prayers, 
because these prayers will be more in alignment with the, the word of God. And these prayers are prayers that will be answered. So in these two uh, brief verses, we see that we are both saved and sanctified by the word. What does that mean? We're connected to the vine when we hear and believe the word. This is why the disciples of Jesus are already clean. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, consequently faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is how we come to Jesus. We are saved by the word, but we're also sanctified by the word. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 that Christ works to make her, referring to the church, holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Or if we use the vine imagery from John 15, as branches were pruned by continuing to hear and believe the word of God in deeper and richer ways. Now, one of the things that I realized as a pastor when I was younger is that I had no idea, really, what any of these biological uh, concepts, gardening-based, ancient agrarian culture-based references had. I had no idea what any of this stuff meant. And I realized that as a pastor, I probably need to start gardening in order to understand something about what Jesus is talking about here. So I love to garden. I have two big garden boxes in my backyard, and it's hard in some ways to garden in Wisconsin, but it is so, so deeply satisfying to me. Now, as a gardener, I know something about pruning. Pruning is almost never adding something to a branch, but it is stripping something away from a branch. And this isn't done to hurt the branch or to harm the plant, just the opposite. It's to help the branch be as healthy and as fruitful as possible. And this is the perfect analogy for the work of sanctification. Sanctification is the work that God the Father is doing in the lives of his children to transform us to be more like his son Jesus. Now, salvation can happen in an instant, but sanctification is a process that happens slowly over time as we let God's word shape us by the power of his spirit. Now, usually having something stripped out of your heart or stripped out of your life is painful. But we must remember that we have a good father who loves us and does this pruning work in our lives for our good. Nothing that God removes or prunes from our lives is without a purpose. Even tragedies can be used for the good. In verse 8, Jesus says that the purpose of this pruning work is threefold. First, we are pruned so that we would bear even more fruit. Now, this is the normal reason for pruning in a garden. But in the Christian life, this work is done to strip away, to remove the things from our lives that prevent us from growing to be more like Jesus. Second, we are pruned so that others would know that we are disciples of Jesus. 
This isn't to raise our flag or make a name for ourselves. But this is a, a witness to the world. Both the fruit of our lives and our ability to grow in fruitfulness over time serve as a testimony to others that something's different, that we are connected to the vine. We have a different life and a different way. Third, and most importantly, I believe, we are pruned so that our lives would more glorify God. Now, we say it a lot around here, but God loves us exactly as we are today, but he loves us too much to leave us where we are, wallowing in our sins and struggles. As God does his pruning work, and as we are able to bear even more fruit as a result, our lives become more and more aligned with and directed toward the glory of God. But still, I'm not sure that we have a clear picture yet of what kind of fruit Jesus is saying our lives will produce that if we remain connected to him. And, and this is vital to understand because this, Jesus says, is the very work that God is doing in our lives today. If we miss this, we might miss what God is up to. Well, let's finish this passage, starting with verse 9, and see if we find any clues about this. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so, I, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. This is God's word. Well, there are lots of clues here as to what kind of fruit Jesus wants to bear in our lives. And he uses the same language of remaining or abiding. But this time he refers to something different, to his love. If you remain in me, if my words remain in you, then remain in my love. Well, surely this is the fruit that Jesus is talking about. But what kind, what does this kind of love look like? Jesus says that it looks like obedience. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. As he said earlier, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, this doesn't mean that God's love is conditional on our obedience. That's Santa Claus. <laughs> That's karma. That's not the gospel. But instead, God's love is unconditional. 
It isn't dependent on us. Thank God. If it were up to me to earn God's love, I'd lose it immediately. I'm sure of that. But rather, Jesus is saying that love and obedience go hand in hand because this is how this dynamic relationship between the Father and the Son has always worked. Now, if this, if this obedience, if this sounds dull to you or boring or like, what kind of life is that? You're missing the joy that is at the heart of God. This joy is radiant. This joy is inexpressible. The joy that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have always enjoyed together, the goodness of their relationship, the vibrance of their life, is nothing that we can imagine. And Jesus, he doesn't obey the Father begrudgingly like while muttering complaints under his breath like, I can't believe I have to go to the cross. He, the Son loves to obey the Father because he loves the Father and the Father loves the Son and the Son knows that. It's the defining connection between the two. Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Being connected to the vine results in a life of love and obedience, sure, but it is a life of pure joy as well. A joy that is sustained no matter what is happening around us. This is the joy that we have access to in Jesus, the vine. It's just one part of the very life of God, the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we are invited into when we are connected to the vine. It's a life of mutual giving, honoring, serving, and love for one another that is governed, it's sustained by the word of God. It's a life of joy. It's a life that's productive, that bears much fruit. And what kind of fruit? I think we can say now joyful works of love. We see this in verse 12 where Jesus repeats the command that he gave back in chapter 13, if you remember. Love each other as I have loved you. I'm the pattern for your love, in other words. Now in case we think that Jesus is talking about some sort of sentimental Hallmark Channel type of love, he gives us the definition of what he's talking about right here. Greater love has no one than this, Jesus says, to lay down one's life for one's friends. When Jesus spoke these words, he knew that not even 24 hours later he would have to endure the pain and the shame of the cross. He would pay the ransom price for the sins of the world. He would die so that we might live through faith in him. But Jesus is saying that this costly, this sacrificial action is the kind of love that he commands. This is a tough kind of love in the sense of needing courage and needing action and being willing to pay the price. But if we open ourselves up to this kind of life, to this nourishment of being connected to Jesus the vine, and if we love one another and learn to love one another as Jesus has loved us with this courageous and cross-shaped kind of love, then Jesus says that we have a new status, a new identity, 
that is as his friend. There are many pictures in the scriptures that help us learn what it looks like to have a relationship with God. They're all good. There's not a bad one in the Bible. But this is really beautiful. Because if Jesus is the king of all creation, then he could command people. He could command us. And we would have to obey him whether we wanted to or not. Jesus is the king of creation. He proved this through his resurrection from the dead. But he considers us to be his, us his disciples, his followers, to be his friends and not just his servants. And this too is huge. A servant doesn't know his master's business. A servant just to do, has to do what they're told. But everything that Jesus learned, literally heard, the words that he heard from his father, he has revealed to us, his disciples. And this, this revelation from Jesus raises our status all the way up into the throne room of heaven with him. When we are connected to him, when we are connected to the vine, when we remain in the word of God and the love of God, and when we joyfully obey his commands to, to serve one another and do these works of love that he modeled for us, we become friends with Jesus. In fact, all of these elements characterize what friendship with Jesus looks like. But in case we're tempted to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, Jesus reminds us, you didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Well, what does this mean for us today? Well, the vine and the life and the love and the joy that flows through the vine, this offer to be connected to Jesus and to become his friend is still available for us today. Anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus is spiritually connected to a new source, to the only true source of life and love and joy and peace that is found in friendship with Jesus. So anyone, young, old, rich, poor, no matter what your background, anyone connected to Jesus in this way will bear fruit. But you will also be pruned by the Father to be even more fruitful in obedience to Christ. Now, this can be seen in many different, in all the areas of our life, but Jesus mentions prayer twice in this passage. So how does our connection with Christ and our friendship with him relate to our prayers? Well, it'll change everything, won't it? How do you speak to a friend? What if your friend was the king of everything? Well, by faith in Jesus, he is. It's a whole different level of access. And this is really what the Christian life is all about. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like for us to accomplish our mission and our vision as a church. Our mission is sharing good news because we believe 
that the word of God is what saves us and sanctifies us. And if that sanctification is real, if we are really truly connected to the vine, if the Father serves as the vine dresser, as the gardener in our life, if he will continue his work of pruning and help us to grow, help us to be more healthy, help us to have more connection to the nourishment of Christ and be even more fruitful in our lives for his glory, it will change everything about our lives. Every single thing. That's why our vision as a church is that the gospel of Jesus Christ will transform the people in every way. Because we believe John 15. And I can't wait to see what you all will be like in the future. I can't wait to see what God will do in my life. What he might have to strip out of my life in order to help me grow in my fruitfulness in, in friendship with Christ. But this is what God is doing in the world. This is what he is multiplying out. More of his life, more of his love, more of his joy to the ends of the earth because Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. We are utterly dependent on him. And there's no better way to live. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Help us to stay connected to you. Forgive us, Lord, for being distracted, being uh, deceived, being wandering astray from, from our connection to you. Lord, would you help us to see the, the vibrance and the life, the nourishment that comes from our connection to you, from our remaining, from our abiding in you. Holy Spirit, we are desperate in need of your empowerment, your, your spiritual power to make the love of God real in our hearts, to, to, give, to bring forward the joy that we have in your salvation, the joy that we have regardless of our circumstances. And Father, I pray that we would be open to your work of pruning in our, life, our lives. I pray that we would be joyful in obedience we would be confident in your faithfulness to us and we would be excited about where it is you're leading us and helping us grow and changing our lives and all of these things through the work of your son Jesus. We give him the glory and honor and praise today and pray in his name, amen.